and welcome to the National Trust podcast. I'm James Grasby, Building and Landscapes Curator for the National Trust. And today I'm heading to the East Anglian town of Oxborough. I'll be visiting a property which, with the help of some rather unusual archaeologists, has been home to some incredible chance findings. The acres of verdant woodland that surrounds Oxborough Hall is full of a variety of ancient trees, oak and ash. Among the sweet summer birdsong and the chirp of insects is the occasional rumble of an aircraft flying to and from the nearby military base. But when you stop and take some time to look at your surroundings here, as with any woodland, you'll find a treasure trove of activity left behind by the people who used to frequent these spaces for work and leisure. But to give me a better idea of the archaeology that can be found in this woodland and what it tells us, I'm hoping to bump into Angus Wainwright, a National Trust archaeologist, who'll be able to shed some light on Oxborough's woodland secrets. I hope I'm heading in the right direction. I've come through a narrow footpath and the canopy is surrounding me. Where is Angus? I think probably rather like looking for wildlife. This ancient landscape is probably precisely the sort of place where you would find an archaeologist. But look, there within it, as you would expect, a questing archaeologist, that is my friend. Angus, I'm sure of it. Hello, James. Hello, Angus. I thought I might find you here. <laughs> what a sensational place. Yes, yeah, beautiful, isn't it? Magical. Well, I've got to show you something that excites an archaeologist. Angus, we're standing on the edge of a little clearing in Scots Pine Woodland, and in front of us is a, is a mound that looks like a very large molehill. And to my untutored eye, it looks a bit like a round barrow. Well, that's what we thought it might be. I mean, round barrows are prehistoric burial mounds, as you know. We do get them in this part of the world. We cleared the trees off it and had a closer look. So we're just rising up a low bank, and looking on the top, it is hollow. What is that? What we found when we kicked about on the top of our supposed round barrow was a lot of bricks. No! Yeah, if you have a look at that. My goodness. What we thought we might have was a 17th century kind of park building, an ornamental building. And then what we found was that, no, the bricks we found on the inside had been very heavily burnt. And then we started wandering further out into the woods and we found at least two other of these mounds. You know, what we've got here is a little local brick-making industry, probably making bricks for cottages and walls. And the stoke hole at the other end, where people were operating the kiln, were putting the wood in to keep it burning. We found some clay pipes and one piece of pottery down in the stoke hole, so you can imagine that would be a nice little warm spot. They are down there having a bit of a smoke and maybe something to drink and broke one of their pipes. The date of those agreed with late 17th, early 18th century. This is a very different form of sleuthing, isn't it? Wandering in the woods at Oxborough looking at the archaeology is really marvellous, but some of the most interesting and strangest and most unusual bits of archaeology are actually in the hall itself. Indoor archaeology, how does that work? Uh, well, some very special techniques, and we'll have a look at those, and we'll have a little chat as we walk back towards the hall. Fabulous. Let's go. 
my sort of nature conservation colleagues they're always sort of looking up for interesting birds in the trees but I'm always looking at the ground you know often I'm actually feeling it with my feet I love that expression it's sort of detective work you're looking for clues to tell you about what happened in the past but it's all about people all these things were created by people for a purpose and often they're just everyday folk who don't get memorialised in all the wonderful documents we don't have letters and diaries from them but what we do have is these marks they've left on the landscapes. And that Angus, I had to stop. We've come to the end of this unfinished carriageway and get the first sight of that astonishing hall, Oxborough Hall. The bricks that you were showing was sort of 1600s. And this building is hundreds of years earlier, I guess. It's about built 200 years before that kiln. So it would have been a, a fashionable and cutting-edge high-status building of the time. And it was a substantial house for an important family. Who were they? Oxborough Hall's history is inextricably linked with the history of the Beddingfeld family. I'm Anna Forrest, and I worked as curator for the National Trust at Oxborough. Oxborough and the Beddingfelds have witnessed the English Reformation, the reign of Elizabeth I, the English Civil War in the 17th century. They were Jacobite sympathisers during the 18th century. During the 19th century, the house was practically a ruin because of everything that had gone before. And then in the 20th century, it was put up for sale and a great number of the contents were sold. And the house itself was nearly sold just for its bricks and demolished, which is a thought that doesn't really bear thinking about. When Elizabeth I came to the throne, there was the Act of Uniformity, which made saying mass a crime and made refusing to attend church to hear the English service illegal. And people who refused to sign up to this act were known as recusants, which literally means refusers. And Sir Henry Bedingfeld was one of the people who, who refused. It would have been very difficult, really, for the Beddingfelds to have carried on worshipping in the way they were used to. They would have had to have carried themselves with extreme care at this point. We've come round to what I guess is the principal entrance. I think if you were visiting in the 1500, the doors would be shut. These massive medieval oak doors. You'd have to hammer on the door and this little one would open here. Yeah, knock on the door. And we found scratches on the inside of the window there where a dog has jumped up at the window and scratched. Oh. So you'd knock on the door and then that guard dog would bark, bark, bark and somebody would emerge out of one of these little doors here on either side. Follow me up the spiral staircase and now you'll see the painted brickwork. Is this painted to look like brick? This is brick, but it's been painted red with white lines. It's a bit weird. It's to make the brick look neater. <laughs> <laughs> Quite incredible. It's like the curly-whirly snail shell drawn out going up the inside. So this is the room called the King's Room. Traditionally, this was the room which was set aside for Henry VII when he visited. Really? For a royal visit? A royal, royal visit, visitor? Yeah. So just over there is a, another doorway which leads into a lovely little vaulted room. Just off it is the, the guard rope, your, your little private lavatory, but also one of Oxborough's most famous mysteries. Ooh, lead the way. Is this really a lav? 1480s loo? It was. En suite? down there. Are you, you're kidding me. Is that, a, it's a, it's a deadfall loo. There's a hole in the floor which should go down a shaft into the moat. 
Oh, I see. It doesn't. It goes into a secret room. Really? You can squeeze through if you want to. Can I squeeze through? Well, this is a first to be entering a lavatory. Feet first. I'm going down and popping down. Useful torch. Here we are. I'm now in the depths. I'm going round the U-bend in the lavatory that is fortunately not full of water. And as Angus told me, I've now entered a little room. Large enough to stand up in, but certainly not to lie down in. This is fascinating. I would guess that this is somewhere that you would hide in the event of an emergency. I'm going to come out through the lab. Angus, I'm intrigued. Have you worked out what it is? Well, it feels like somewhere, you know, priest hole or somewhere that if you're under threat, you could get away. So it is a priest hole. So the the Beddingfeld family were Catholics. They didn't turn to Protestantism. So they were, you know, in a sticky political position. And that is why from being very wealthy, they fell on hard times. And they had to have priests to serve mass, which was illegal. So they had to have a little bolt hole for the priest to go should anybody turn up at the door hammering away. If I'd been caught, if I'd been that Catholic priest and they'd found their way to me, what would have been the outcome? Well, you'd be dragged out and probably tortured to find out who your associates were and then you'd probably be executed in a rather gruesome way. Is is finding priests hidden under the floor something that you (laughs) encounter in your daily... I've never actually, (laughs) funnily enough, ever found a priest under a floorboard, but we have found a lot of other exciting things under the floorboards at at Oxford. You're going to show me some things? Yeah, we're going to have a look. Oh, wonderful. That was quite a narrow staircase you brought me up, Angus, and I guess we're in the servants' bedrooms, or...? Often we don't really know how rooms were used because these weren't described, but we were lucky in archaeological or historical terms because we've just completed a massive building project at Oxborough. All the floorboards in this room and the attic next door to us were all lifted up underneath these floorboards. As you can imagine, there's hundreds of years of dust. So amongst the dust are things that have fallen between the cracks in the floorboards or been deliberately hidden. So all this stuff accumulates under the floorboards. Normally, it would just be shoveled away and go out in a skip. But we decided we were going to treat this as a sort of archaeological excavation. This is not the Indiana Jones end of archaeology. It's not the excavation of the Roman villa or the finding of a Mithraic temple. It's a completely different world, this, isn't it? It's been said by others that archaeology is all about rubbish. (laughs) And and whether you're looking underneath the floorboards or on an excavation of a Roman villa, you're digging up other people's rubbish. And that's telling you a picture about their life. Sorting through 57 sacks of dust was both dirty and boring at times. But, you know, me and the volunteers were kept going by the dream of finding, you know, a little gold coin or something really exciting like that. But as archaeologists, we can be excited by much more trivial things than than gold coins. And we've got some, you know, spectacularly trivial things for you to look at. I'm longing to see them. What we might do is start from the trivial and work up to the more fancy. I thought these are probably the most sort of mundane. Have a look at those. 
I recognise those from Christmas. Walnut shells. Walnut shells, yes. Really? So, so in some rooms, there were tonnes of walnut shells. If they've been nibbled by rats, mm. it could be that the rats have actually brought them down to eat under the floorboards. Yeah. But these ones that have been perfectly cracked and not nibbled by rats, they've been deliberately put under the floor. And what we think is that this is sound insulation. Oh. So you put a thick layer of walnut shells under your floor as a sound insulation because downstairs are the bedrooms of the gentry oh. and up here are the servants clattering around on this floor with no carpet on it, bash, 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 chatting away. People downstairs don't want to hear what's going on upstairs. <laughs> what a brilliant idea. Early sound insulation. Yeah. So probably the commonest find are these. They're dressmaking pins, are they? They must be dressmaking pins. We haven't looked at these in detail, but what's clearly happening is that maids are adapting or making dresses in this room. They're dropping pins, and when they're sweeping up, they're going down between the cracks of the floorboards. Oh. And what we found was they're concentrated, where you might imagine, where the windows are. It's not just finding a pin, it's knowing the context from which that pin came from that really begins to answer questions, give a picture of daily life here, doesn't it? It's a simple little story, but it just gives you a little window into the lives of real people in the past, just from a few pins. That's magic. What have you got there? So we've got a little, little box, which I'll try not to break when I open it. But if you just want to hold that May just I? very carefully and... Wow, I'm going to take it over to the light where the seamstress was. That looks like a fragment of textile to me. So... A little bit of cloth. Bizarrely, the most exciting thing in this attic was a rat's nest. So when Matt, the archaeologist who was here, found it, it was just like a, a dusty heap of fabric. He carefully unfurled it, all these different bits of chewed up textile, and he realised that there was something unusual about this. My name is Matthew Champion. I am a freelance buildings archaeologist, specialise in historical inscriptions and underfloor archaeology and buildings recording. We were carrying out a survey in the attics at Oxborough. We were investigating beneath the floorboards. While working in one area near the gatehouse, I came across what appeared to be a, a very large and a rather ancient rat's nest. These weren't uncommon at Oxborough. We had come across quite a few already. But it was very clear from this, as soon as I started investigating, that we had small pieces of parchment and we had quite a lot of textiles involved. So we took a fairly forensic approach. We couldn't lift the whole thing in situ. So we had to literally beneath the floorboards and gradually dissect this rat's nest. And as soon as we started opening it up, we realised it was full of treasures. We had collars, we had cuffs, we had embroidery, and we had some very, very high status things like silks, we had velvets, we had satins. What was really significant was the quality. These were not your average everyday items. These had clearly come from luxury garments. A lot of the, uh, the garments that these came from would have been very fashionable high status items. But of course, fashions change quite quickly. The material itself could be reused, whereas the, the garment couldn't. So what they were doing was they were cutting off things like the collars and the cuffs 
and then they were reusing those larger sections of material and probably reusing them in other more fashionable up-to-date garments this is just not something you normally come across in archaeology that's fabulous it's not only a a great reminder to all of us today about the tradition of reusing recycling materials but also the idea that <laughs> once it's of no use to us it may be of use to somebody yes. else even a family of rats yes probably hundreds of generations of little rats have snuggled up yeah. in that well, uh, over the centuries brilliant uh, so i'll put that back i'm glad you went through all this rubbish Now that is extraordinary. It is a yeah. small fragment, I would think, of paper. Can you? No, that's music notation, isn't it? It is music notation. Is it? Yes. This little scrap of paper and a few others like it came out of the rat's nest as well. And luckily, there was an expert on hand to have a look at the photographs and identify that this is actually early Tudor wow. handwritten music. <laughs> My name's David Skinner. I'm the Osborne Director of Music at Sydney Sussex College in Cambridge. I believe it was, it was a morning. It was definitely a morning and somebody forwarded this article to me and I opened it up on my computer. Just reading through the article, just casually mentioning two small fragments, musical fragments, without any further information. Then my heart started to race, because there's a possibility that this might be composed music. Each side of the fragment had enough musical notation, enough information to show that this was indeed music probably from the mid-1520s. Very likely to be music by a well-known composer from that time, could have been Cornish, could have been Tallis and also a lost fragment from what seems to be a, a lost book of masses. We have so little, comparatively little music from the reign of Henry VIII, so it would completely fundamentally change the soundscape of our understanding of early Tudor church music. The implications are vast here, because it just simply means that this music represents the very, very height of English choral endeavor in the 1520s. So what is it doing in a rat's nest uh, in Oxborough Hall? Angus, you brought me along a corridor and I've only got my bearings by looking out of this window. But this looks to me to be a cross between a laboratory and a study. Now, you've got some tools of the trade here. Some very dainty brushes, some sturdier household brushes. There are bags of unsorted material, lots of clipboards, endless forms detailing all the finds. What am I looking at, Angus? Well, this is my working area. We don't do the actual sorting for the dust in here because, as you can imagine, it's very dusty. So we do that under a gazebo outside. But here... Under the bench are some bags waiting to be sorted. So these are rubble sacks and yeah. They, they, yeah, they contain about one or two bucketfuls of debris from under the floorboards. And if I, there's one here that's open. That is a bag of rubbish, Angus. Angus, this is not archaeology to my mind. There's dust that would come out of my vacuum cleaner that I throw in the bin. It looks very unpromising to me, but you're telling me this is the clue to the past. Yeah, so that's actually a, a hoover bag. So the builders, <laughs> first they shovel out the material, then they hoover it all out. Uh -huh. 
and the shoveled out material and the hoover bags all go in the sack. Mm-hmm. But the interesting things that we've looked at before will be hidden amongst all that material. So, um, Angus, you're telling me that you now put all that out on a tray and go through it? Every, every thimble full. Wow. Well, we looked at some of the other things that we found under the floorboards, but I've got one larger item here to show you. Just it's all wrapped up. up in a tissue paper inside a box. My goodness, that is astonishing. Beautifully done, and the detail is exquisite. Well, this is a little leather-bound printed book, and it's a book of psalms from 1569, and it was actually compiled by Catherine Parr, who you might remember as the sixth wife, wife of Henry VIII. Of Henry VIII. Wow who was um, a very studious person, a very highly Protestant. So rather unusual thing to find in a very Catholic family's house. This was found by a builder resting on top of the external wall, just under the tiles, so inches from the weather, just waiting for that builder to come along. Wow, that is incredible. bit puzzling how it got there we don't think it was deliberately hidden you know there wouldn't be anything politically problematic about it in fact it's the ideal book one would want in one's house to show that you know one was a you know proper protestant you can imagine it might have dropped off the back of a shelf off the end of the floorboard just through a, a large enough gap to drop down onto the top of the exterior wall you know, maybe it was just a chance like that and there it sat, you know, unnoticed all all that time. Angus, you were showing me pins and walnut shells and small fragments of everyday things, but to find a book in this sort of condition must be astonishing for an archaeologist. This is the kind of thing, when we set this project up, that's the sort of thing we dreamt of finding. We knew we'd find interesting things like those pins, you know, that would tell us about the everyday life of the house. But we hoped, you know, that we might find some really unusual and valuable and evocative things. I mean, that's so evocative, isn't it, in in that condition as well, you know, of the, the history of a place like Oxborough Hall. It's just encapsulated in that sort of rotting and nibbled, wonderful book. I've reluctantly said goodbye to Angus and behind me is Oxborough which is sort of evaporating again into this wonderful landscape this meadow land of almost waist high flowering plants and I'm trying to do and trying to think about what Angus told me which I thought was lovely the idea of feeling the landscape with your feet as a way of sensing what's going on. His sense of inquiry and the way he goes about a sort of forensic investigation of buildings, extending archaeology, not just from <laughs> excavating a brick kiln, but to underfloor archaeology and the lives and collecting habits of rats in the house reveals so much these lost lives to history of needlewomen who have not been recorded in documents, but whose evidence of their lives persists in the things that they left behind. It's been a great revelation.
Thanks for listening to this episode of the National Trust podcast. To make sure you get new episodes of this podcast, follow or subscribe on Spotify, Google Podcasts or Apple Podcasts. And while you're there, do leave us a review to let us know what you think of the show. We'll be back soon with a new episode. But for now, from me, James Grasby, goodbye.